Nothing discussed with Dr. Marie Versino in this conversation is meant to diagnose or treat any condition or takes the place of talking with your own healthcare professionals. Aloha, everyone, and welcome to another conversation from Anxiety to Clarity. I'm Beth Ann Kozlovich from Sutter Health Kahimohala, and this series is a project in conjunction with my colleague, Trisha Kajimura at Sutter Health Kahimohala, and Evan Leung at Brain Gain Hawaii. It's really our hope that these conversations with mental health professionals throughout Hawaii are helpful and hopeful as we're all trying to cope with life, with COVID-19, and whatever may come next. We've been really on a roller coaster over these last couple of weeks. Where are we now? Well, come August 1st, we're told that the state's going to open to trans-Pacific visitors, and that means that if they come with a negative COVID test, they can skip the mandatory 14-day quarantine. And if they don't, well, some of those details are still to be worked out, but the quarantine will be in effect. Also, the legislature has been in session this week, and they've been trying to work on a budget fix, which they have at least agreed to. We'll see what happens when it gets to the governor. They've also agreed to $150 million in promised pay raises for public workers, and that's drawn some some ire as well. So that's pretty much where we are in the backdrop of all of us in Hawaii dealing with COVID-19. And we'll see what happens as the low double digits in cases have continued through, uh, through this month. In all of this, the mental health community is really concerned about the ongoing effects of COVID-19 and what that means for this mental health wave that many of us have been worried about talking about for quite a while and what that means, especially for some of the issues that we've been dealing with for decades, domestic violence, child abuse and neglect, uh, families with increased needs for mental health uh, treatment of, of all types. What does this mean with COVID-19 now layered on top of it. Well, we're gonna talk about that today. Dr. Marie Vorsino is the Vice President of Intervention at PACT, that's Parents and Children Together, and she joins me for this conversation from Anxiety to Clarity. And it's very, very good to see you. Thanks for making the time today. Thank you for having me, Bethann. I really appreciate it. So here we are closing out June, or about to, and moving into July, the state's got approximately four to five weeks to figure out how this is going to work with travelers coming to us from trans-Pacific destinations and what that will mean for our own folks as we were flattening the curve and then we watched these couple of spikes of in this month and what that will mean going forward. But as we're dealing with that physical health crisis, really there's been this brewing underlying crisis in mental health that we haven't really focused on in the same way. And that's one of the reasons why we wanted to do this series. I know you deal with many of the issues that I talked about a moment ago, day in, day out. And I just wanna ask you, how has this been for you and for PACT in the last month as we're seeing COVID-19 escalate and then recede and escalate and now clearly escalating again? Yeah, great question, Bethann. And I think some of that we're still trying to figure out. Um, The impacts on our clients and families, our communities, um, has been tremendous. Uh, They are looking sometimes just for basic needs, uh, housing, food, 
shelter. Uh, and so we are really trying to meet those needs of parents and children together. Uh, some of the other things that have really come up recently uh, and that we're very concerned about is um, an increase in uh, needs and support around domestic violence uh, and also child abuse and neglect. In any kind of crisis situation, uh, usually we'll see an uptick in domestic violence. And kind of what's happened during COVID-19 is we are seeing an uptick in the amount of individuals that are maybe seeking some support, uh, seeking crisis and safety planning. Um, but what we're concerned about is that they don't have access to calling or private time to call and get the help that they need. A lot of times in domestic violence situations, uh, someone will call when their abuser is out of the room uh, or they'll call when their abuser is at work uh, or the offender is at work. So what we're seeing now is, and what we're really concerned about is individuals that are in a domestic violence situation, are they able to get the help that they need? Um, and that also uh, impacts us when we talk about child abuse and neglect. Uh, the mandated reporters, those individuals that are required to report any suspected child abuse and neglect, kids aren't going to school. Um, they're uh, maybe not going to the doctor as often. Uh, so individuals that might have in the past uh, been able to say, hey, there's something going on with this family, they need some support, um, there's some maybe danger or some situations where uh, there needs to be, be some interventions, we're just not seeing them. Uh, so we're really trying to address and identify and get the awareness out there uh, to the community in those specific areas. Um, and it, it really is uh, what I think strikes me about COVID-19 from, you know, you talked about the mental health and the, um, this anxiety uh, is that individuals and families and communities are feeling anxiety and um, so maybe even fear, uh, maybe even some you know, unrest in their emotional and physical well-being over longer periods of time. So it's just not, just not like a short period of time. We're, we're experiencing it for several months on end, and we don't really know when it's going to end. And so that impact on your mental health uh, is very concerning. Uh, we just... Um, and, and I think as a mental health community, we're really trying to figure that out. Do people have access to the resources that they need? Uh, and uh, do they know where to get those resources when they're feeling like that? You've talked about a lot that we can unpack as we continue this conversation. Certainly identifying what families are in trouble mm -hmm. has been clearly without school, without other eyes on children, without other eyes on family, because everyone sort of, you know, myopically trained on themselves and, and how they're going to behave and just mm -hmm. learning how to deal with the whole staying at home, mostly uh, feeling safer that that might be the place to, to be. And people are, if they're still working, many of us are still working at home. All of that means that we've got less eyes on other, other people. Mm -hmm. And that can be tough when you're asking people to be more concerned about other people, more compassionate, all of that, that uh, can help to not only just identify where there can be problems, but just to extend as a community. And yet we're seeing real pockets of that. Mm -hmm. Have you seen any of that change in, in any sort of way that would be a, a model for how you might like to ask other people to behave 
as we're trying to still keep eyes on children, eyes on family, and we still have at least another month to go before school, however it's going to look, is, is going to be open. It's really those, I guess, connections, those small connections in the community that we think will really help these issues. Um, if you hear something that's going on in the next door neighbor's house, you know, maybe you need to check in with them. You know, if you do have a relationship with them, give them a call, check with them, check in with them. How's everything going? And if you're really concerned, we do say, you know, reach out to the proper authorities. Uh, if you're hearing something that just doesn't sound right, you know, arguing, children crying uncontrollably, yelling and screaming, you know, that is really important to kind of reach out. Um, I think, you know, that social connection that we are so used to as human beings has changed. The new norm is the platform that you are you, you and I are using, right? Zoom and uh, all of these things that we're trying to connect socially as human beings. And so as a community, we really need to think about ways that we can reach out and support other people in need. And um, that is one of the things that we're really trying to get across is that awareness. And, um, and we know that people are struggling, struggling all over our community. Um, and it is something, it is an additional thing to ask uh, someone else to say, oh, hey, you know, something's going on with your neighbor. Can you reach out and support them? But, you know, that is one way that you can kind of um, help. I think families as well, because we don't have a lot of that connection that we're so used to, you know, we may not be eating dinners together or, or going to the beaches together. Um, but, uh, making sure that we're reaching out via the telephone or being Zoom and, and you know, checking in with um, family members. How's everything going? You know, how, how, are you, uh, how are you dealing with some of the effects of COVID-19? Because, you know, there is so much stress, I am sure, that is, that is really happening in the households across our communities related to job loss, uh, financial uh, impact of this. Um, you know, all those things we talked about in the beginning, the food insecurity, uh, people are worried about if they're going to have a house over their head. So that can just create this really, quite honestly, perfect storm, Bethann, that um, just uh, really impacts families in, in, a, in a really critical way. Uh, and so we really want to say that, you know, reaching out to your neighbors, really um, supporting them. And then also as families, if you are struggling, there is help out there. Uh, you know, picking up the phone and, you know, calling, uh, you know, if you already are connected with a nonprofit or social organization, calling your caseworker, calling your case manager, uh, calling your therapist, you know, just say, I'm really struggling right now, um, and reaching out to someone that can provide you that support and help. So you brought up two issues that I think we, we struggle with just in general, let alone in a time of COVID. And yet, because of the pandemic, maybe that is stripping away some of, of the reticence to call and ask for help. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a lot of people who are very proud and they don't want to admit that they need help because they may see that that's not for them. That's for mm -hmm. a, a harder, different strata, socioeconomically speaking, and that that's not really something they want other people to know because it's their business. And then you have people who feel that, well, that's their business. I shouldn't mix in. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that's, not what you do. That's not how you're, you're being a good. And it feels like because of all of the impacts of COVID-19 in so many ways that we're seeing a lot of these formally socialized norms strip away. Mm -hmm. 
those are some of them for very, very good reasons and some not so good reasons. Mm -hmm. But I, I hear you say that really this, if you're going to reach out, now's the time. And if you're concerned or you hear something that just gives you that niggling feeling, you got to do something about it. Yeah, definitely. And it is hard. Uh, it is definitely hard to reach out and ask for help. Um, and at the same time, it's, it's hard to, uh, you know, be concerned about, not be concerned about your neighbor, but really be, uh, we don't often do that, right? We don't often uh, maybe reach out to someone we don't know or uh, are, we don't want to get involved, right? That's not our business, as you said. Um, and and I, I just like to say that, you know, there are a lot of times school uh, can be an escape for kids. Um, they don't, maybe they have a home life that is um, very difficult, very challenging. And so just thinking about that, that um, there are places in our community right now where kids need help uh, and where parents need help. Um, and it, it is very, very challenging and difficult times right now. And so what, what we can kind of do to help that process, um, and, and it could just be, you know, hey, going over and, you know, we're not asking anyone to get into danger themselves, but, you know, maybe saying, hey, can I drop off some groceries or, you know, dropping off something um, in, their, in their front yard or something, or just, just being that neighbor um, that maybe is a little bit different than we've done before. And, and, and on the other side, when we are in situations where we do need help and we do need assistance, um, that first step, step can be challenging. Uh, and I would just say that in, for any organization that is helping clients in this situation, we know that. We know that it is difficult. And um, we are definitely trained um, to treat families with the utmost uh, fairness and compassion. And, and there is uh, no judgment at all if you are reaching out for help. That's right. And, and that's the, I think that's the essential message that a lot of folks within the mental health community have been trying to promulgate over this last little while, because we're seeing people, and we've heard from many in the community that they're seeing, you know, first time folks coming in saying, I just realized I need help. Mm -hmm. And they mm -hmm. take a risk doing that in the same way that you take a risk when you try to be of help to someone else who may not want your help, but may later themselves really glad that, that you that you took that risk so this is ongoing are are any efforts underway from your efforts that you can talk about it from from your organization from pact to help with some of those who might be the first responders i'm thinking about the police because that's been such a a contentious issue for such a very long time with how police respond to domestic violence or to issues of of child neglect, that's that same, you know, barrier of, well, that's their business and are you okay? Okay, fine. And then, you know, wanting to get out of there very quickly or, mm -hmm. you know, calling up and asking for a wellness check on someone and having to go all kinds of, you know, through hoops to be able to get the police to really show up and ask more than just a few questions like, are you a danger to yourself? Are you a danger to somebody else? Okay, fine, bye. Uh, for many people, it feels like that's the routine and then something may happen and they see that that could have been preventable, but there's such a gap in, in all of that when you're trying to reach people who really are in danger. 
Is there anything more that you can tell us that you know is going on to be able to support those kinds of activities so that we don't see real tragedy happen? So what we try to do at PACT is we try to build relationships with our community um, police. Uh, and it really, it comes into play. And we feel that that is part of our responsibility. Uh, make sure that we are communicating with our local police department. And, and we have had, you know, very good opportunities to do that because some of the work that we are doing, um, our clients can be in danger. Uh, either through domestic violence uh, or through, you know, mental health crisis. Uh, so we at, at PACT, we do have a family visitation center. Uh, and our family visitation center is for um, families that have had uh, temporary restraining orders or they are court ordered uh, to supervise visits with their children. Uh, and so what we do is we just make sure we have that relationship with the police department um, and we communicate with them when we have concerns uh, and we also uh, reach out to them when we don't, you know, just checking in, um, you know, we just wanted to make sure that, uh, you know, we are have, we do have a family visitation center, uh, who's a good person that we can connect with if we do have a problem or we do have an issue, right? So making sure that we have kind of that first name basis um, piece that uh, we really think is important in establishing relationships um, in the community. Uh, and then also for mental health crisis, uh, you know, we are working on training our staff in a um, suicide prevention uh, training QPR, uh, it question, persuade, and refer. Uh, and we just really think in pre-COVID, uh, this was a really important training uh, that we could provide to staff. We were seeing kind of an, in, an uptick in our organization um, around suicide ideation, uh, and even uh, a couple of uh, suicide attempts uh, with our clients. And so, you know, that's kind of the response that we like to do is uh, that prevention response and those um, relationship responses. And we think that's really helpful. So uh, the training uh, is a little bit on hold because of COVID-19, uh, but we just found out that the uh, training that we did shows can be done web-based. Uh, so we're gonna start uh, a plan on how to do that for our staff. So you know, training, relationships, key uh, for really looking at some of these issues that we, um, that we deal with uh, and that our, our clients struggle with uh, on a daily basis. Knowing that COVID's gonna be with us for quite a while, I know the Healthcare Association of Hawaii has been saying, look, you know, we're looking into next year. Mm -hmm. Who knows what may really happen with vaccines? We don't really know a whole lot about I hope. But we do know how we've been taught to behave now, how we've learned to behave now. And in dealing with some of those issues that we've been talking about, how do you see this fundamentally changing how mental health care is delivered and how the community learns to interact with the mental health community and deliver services or be the conduit to services? How do you see that changing in ways that might not have been on the radar even six months ago. That is what we're talking about uh, daily at PACT uh, and how we can really maximize uh, the things that have been working with teleservices and telehealth in our organization. Um, the new norm is likely going to be that combination of teleservices and in-person services. Uh, and so we're looking at different ways that we can do that. Uh, we do provide uh, 
groups via teleservices right now. Uh, so clients have the opportunity to join groups via that way. Uh, any type of assessment or even individual therapy can be done via teleservices. I think what is, is, can be a barrier, and we are you know, really thinking about this impact, is a client's access to uh, the oh. internet and some kind of platform that they can use. Definitely a majority of us have cell phones uh, in the community, um, but our data, you know, we're using a lot of data when you're using Zoom, so how can we as a community support um, individuals uh, or families uh, that may not um, have access to computers, uh, tablets. Uh, and so we're really working to support our community on that, you know, writing grants uh, and getting funding that we can um, help our uh, clients and individuals with that. And also, you know, school itself uh, is changing. You know, kiddos are uh, using um, computers and, and joining uh, classrooms uh, remotely. Uh, and so we really want to maximize what we've learned. I think the other thing is, and, and it, could, it could happen that um, we have to go back to, you know, full teleservices uh, if we have an, uh, some kind of uptick in our numbers, you know. So we really want to be cautious around that, too, is that if there is some sort of uptick in the numbers or there is a requirement of shelter in place again, um, we just want to be, we want to make sure that our clients are comfortable with the technology. Um, it, it can be a very different way of uh, working uh, with someone, and we want to make sure our staff is comfortable. Um, so... Uh, I think that's one thing to really think about is, is we're just really maximizing what we've learned so far. And you bring up the point that I think all in the medical community and the educational community and so many other communities have been learning in an accelerated pace because they've had to. Mm -hmm. Although this might be a very good thing that we saw sort of coming down the pike a few years ago, really getting the mastery over it has been foisted on so many people mm -hmm. uh, the client end and on, on the provider side that, you know, now this has taken us to another level, literally a very, very quick jump. So how do you see the mental health community itself working better with itself or perhaps not as well? I know that there's the, the behavioral health and, and homelessness surge call that happens every week. And I'm on that. And I know you're on that too. And many, many others are. And so we hear a lot of this information, which seems to be turning more into real sharing of who is out there and what is happening and what the access might look like for clients, as opposed to saying, okay, this is our response to COVID-19 and this mm -hmm. is what you do. And I've been watching that shift over the last several weeks. And I'm wondering what you see as you both participate in that and also as you are, are in the community delivering services. That, I think that's what's been so amazing, Bethann, is that that sharing piece of all of this uh, and what is working. And, you know, I've been involved in um, lots of webinars and uh, lots of uh, opportunities as uh, nonprofit organizations to share what has been working. And I think that's been the shift. Um, you know, in the beginning, it was all of us trying to kind of really respond to a crisis situation. And now... We're taking all of those things that we've learned from other organizations, um, from our clients, and really trying to make that part of the action plan. And, and I think that's where that shift has happened. Um, I always kind of think that, you know, 
this kind of shift in delivering services from a really in-person format and at Parents and Children Together and many organizations across our state, that's what we did. And in the space of very little time, we shifted. Uh, and I think that's what is so amazing. Our, our work shifted, our clients shifted, um, and we really are trying to make it work. Uh, and it's really, uh, you know, for lack of a better kind of thing to say is we're all in this together. You know, we're really trying to see um, what's working for other people and what's working for our clients. You know, an interesting point about that and, and whatever hybrid we start to not just start, but continue to deal with in person plus mm -hmm. whatever, you know, format you may be using or, or platform you may be using to access telehealth. There's also that is issue of, of being able to pick up cues from mm -hmm. other people. And it's very different even when we're looking at each other right now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm different when you've got this screen between you let alone when you're sitting in a room with someone and both the provider and the client have to be masked I mean there's this whole part of your face that you don't see and mm -hmm. and wondering if you're also seeing or hearing from others in the provider community about these nuances and 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 greater learning about how to read a face or how to look at someone's eyes to see if someone is having you on or if they're being straight up with you what that means as in-person delivery of that kind of treatment or service also means that people have to be masked. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think two important points you bring up, um, and, and both of them is really the training component of this for our staff and our mental health community. Um, and I think we found that uh, out early on. We moved to a telehealth uh, or teleservices uh, at PACT and, and then we started to think about um, ways that we really can support our staff in delivering these services. Uh, and so a lot of it was training. Uh, a lot of it was, you know, providing tips to them about how to work with your clients remotely. Um, and, you know, you and I are talking remotely and it's just the two of us. Um, we're also doing groups this way. So, you know, you can have 10 or 15 people in a group. So how do you facilitate that? How do you help um, clients feel like they can share, you know, because in a in-person setting, um, you can have that people might feel more comfortable sharing, uh, but in a remote uh, setting, it might be a little different. Um, so how do you help people really feel comfortable sharing? Um, you know, just as I was uh, thinking about this, you know, I've, how do we also keep that privacy going on, right? So if I'm doing therapy with someone um, and I'm in my home or, and the client is in their home and they have other family members around, it's not, it, it can be a little disconcerting um, for clients to kind of uh, like, oh, their daughter is coming in or, you know, the kiddos are there. So, I mean, it, it really does take training um, and, and it is uh, a platform that, um, staff and clients are really going to have to kind of, they're going to learn as they go along. And I think that's for both processes. It's not just staff learning, it's clients learning as well. Um, I think the other point is, is that it's not only the, uh, that learning piece of it, but there's also a safety component to it, um, especially around, you know, domestic violence and child abuse and neglect. Um, we are doing, uh, 
groups, uh, domestic violence groups, both for survivors and offenders uh, via uh, uh, remote uh, services. Uh, and then for our family visitation center, uh, we're also doing remote visits. And so we learned a lot in the beginning and collaborated with national organizations on how to uh, provide that in the best uh, possible setting. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of things that, you know, we as a community have kind of had to um, learn and be flexible and uh, really uh, try to deliver the best quality services uh, to clients in the situation that we're in. And, and that may be one of the, the better outcomes of a very terrible situation. Mm -hmm. We've been talking about what silver linings there may be as we've been continuing this series. And that seems to be a thread that, that many are weaving into their work. Mm -hmm. As though we look at the anxiety that some of that is producing, having to potentially have less privacy when you're talking about something that's very private, having to deal with the distance, how do you make people feel comfortable and, and feel that they can be sharing intimately, even in a format like this. All of those things bring a level of anxiety on top of all mm -hmm. the anxiety that we're already feeling. So I'm wondering if you have some ideas of what people might be able to import into their lives to be able to decrease some of that anxiety at home with their families when they're by themselves, however they may do it, because that, that sort of bubbling level or that brewing level of anxiety seems to always be there. It's always mm -hmm. under the surface, even when people are trying to act as, as normal, for lack of a better term, as they may have acted in the pre-COVID days and given everything else that we know. So I'm wondering what you might tell anyone watching this who might feel that same sense of anxiety what do they do? How do they get a little clarity about that and maybe a little relief? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, there are some very important things that you can do. I think one of the most important things is routine, you know, um, really trying to establish a routine for yourself as an individual, for your family um, to, you know, lessen that anxiety. You know, there's a lot of things that are different in people's lives right now. You are at home. Um, your kids are at home, you know, things are different. Maybe you're not able to go out and do some of the things that you really enjoy doing in the past. Uh, so I think routine is very important. Um, and everybody says this, but, you know, decrease the screen time. Uh, that can be incredibly anxiety provoking. Uh, we just have like instant news coming to us all the time. And sometimes, I mean, even for, I, for myself, I feel like I'm uh, every day waiting for the new number to come out about how many COVID cases there are, right? And, and it, it can create this, that's not, that's not what I should be thinking about every single day. You know, I have other things um, in my life that I should be focusing on. Um, so it's reducing the screen time, uh, carving out that time to uh, have those social interactions uh, with your family, with your friends, uh, within the social constraints that we find ourselves in and the physical distinct constraints that we find ourselves in. Um, and that can be, you know, using Zoom, uh, you know, having different ways that you use, uh, having parties over Zoom or graduation over Zoom. You know, I mean, a lot of really creative things people have done um, to really uh, uh, impact uh, how they interact with others. Um, I think another thing, and, and this can take some practice, but uh, guided breathing, 
uh, guided meditation. Uh, there are some wonderful uh, resources online uh, that people can access. Uh, deep breathing alone uh, can reduce some of that anxiety uh, and really bring um, some clarity to your day. So really trying to incorporate that deep breathing or that guided meditation uh, into, your, into your life. And doing things that you enjoy, you know, physical exercise is excellent uh, to reduce some of the anxiety, even if it's, you know, just a 10 minute walk around the neighborhood uh, or, you know, walking to the grocery store if you can. Um, so I think there are different things that you can incorporate in your life um, that can help you uh, feel less uh, emotional anxiety, um, less feelings of stress on your body, on your physical body and your emotional uh, feelings. Um, and, and I would also say, Bethann, if it's becoming very challenging for you, that's the point to reach out and get some help uh, and really access uh, individuals that can help you through this process and, and know you're not alone. And um, it, it is a very, uh, I, I know people are probably pretty tired of, of hearing this, but COVID-19 is unprecedented. I mean, we've never experienced anything um, like this in, in our community, in our world. And um, I think we're learning as we go along uh, but it, it, it is really important to um, know that some of those feelings that you're having are completely normal. You know, other people in the world are having those same feelings. Other people in your community are having those same feelings. Um, and I would just say, you know, really making sure that you reach out if you need help. Those normal feelings in a highly abnormal situation. Mm -hmm really a, a good key for understanding how you can go through all of this. Mm -hmm. I feel like you're going to lose your mind, you know, with just, you know, simple things or understanding too, that it's a matter of personal responsibility. And mm -hmm. we've never been really that great about taking on those kinds of personal responsibilities. We wanted somebody else to fix us or mm -hmm. somebody else to make the situation better or throw more money at a situation because that'll fix it. And really so much of what we've seen over the last several months has really boiled down to personal responsibility. And I hear you asking people to really be serious and honest about that, both in the need for help when you need it, mm -hmm. the need to help others if you think they might need it and being willing to risk a possible you know, negative uh, uh, reaction from them. And, and also to be really responsible for your own health and well-being and not put that off to somebody else, your provider, no, you know, other family members, whomever, but really being very serious about bringing personal responsibility squarely home to every person. And I thank you so much for being willing to take time this morning and talk about it. And I wish you and PACT all the best, as all of us I know in the mental health community are going to be soldiering on to we know not what, but we know we'll all be walking that path together. Thanks so much. Thank you, Bethann. I really appreciate it and uh, I appreciate the time. And I just want to say thank you to all of, um, you know, our whole community out there. Um, everybody has really rallied together uh, and uh, we'll, we'll get through this. We will. We will. Thank you so much. Thank and you. to all joined us for this episode of From Anxiety to Clarity. We're glad that you did. There will be others. And if you would like to give your input as to what those conversations should be, what you'd like to hear, 
please send me an email. My address is COZLOVEB, that's K-O-Z as in zebra, L-O-V as in Victor, B as in boy, at SutterHealth.org. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time on From Anxiety to Clarity. I'm Beth Ann Kozlovich. See you then.